Chicas! Live and underway here on ESPN Plus, alongside Hercules Gomez. I am Sebi Salazar. This is episode 293 of the show, and we have come well-dressed. Herc, tell me about that kid over there. Yeah, you remember that team that Freddie Adu used to play for? Oh, wait, wait, no. Raul Jimenez played for them as well. You remember that team? You know what I'm talking about? This is their art, like, deco version of that. Wow. Sweet Benfica. You know what you're talking about. Thank you. What you got going ah, on? Uh, well, I know you're a big fan of the U.S. Open Cup. Certainly the qualifying rounds of the U.S. Open Cup. So, how about that? Darktopus FC. All right. One of the uh, one of the cooler clubs that have emerged in U.S. Open Cup qualifying. Maybe we'll uh, hear from one of their players should they make a run to the tournament proper, as they like to say. Listen, listen. Uh, we enjoy uh, the Open Cup here on uh, this mm-hmm. platform. Unlike some other platforms who we will not name or other other entities but i like it when you name other people that's what make this show interesting well all right all right you could have just shown you could have shown messi play against cincinnati in the open cup it would have been cool all right all right producer beto's rushing us he says let's get to the show we got lots to talk about uh mexico and ghana played over the weekend we got chivas and america playing in a game that meant nothing but drew a big crowd uh in the united states jeff kasuf is going to join us herc in just a little bit to talk about NWSL decision day. Drama, drama, drama. But let's start with the U.S. men's national team. They were in East Hartford, Connecticut, taking on the Germans, the four-time World Cup champion Germans, Gio Reyna. With the blonde look, four minutes in, U.S. getting in behind the Germans. Christian Pulisic, one-on-one, he's going to score, Her. They called it offside, but Greg Berhalter after the game said it wasn't. It looked very onside to me, very close, nonetheless, offside. No issue, it's early on, come on. Nine minutes into the game, U.S. attacking again. Timothy Weah gonna get the cross off. Christian Pulisic just can't get the finishing touch. Gio Reyna is just so good at that little through ball in behind the defensive line. Makes him pay every single time. 11th minute, Germany looking for their opener. Pascal Gross off the post! Yeah, just a lot of chances for Germany. Clear-cut chances as well. A lot of ball-watching in this game. Very fortunate right there. Off the post. 11 minutes later, Matt Turner this time going to make the save. Point-blank range on Nicholas Fulkrug. Yeah, Fulkrug with with an easy chance right there off a deflection. But there's a lot of those half chances in favor of Germany just going their way. This was a great game in the first half for the neutrals. Just totally open. Chance here for Christian Pulisic one-on-one with Ter Stegen. He wants the penalty, Herc. Should he have got it? No, Christian takes a, a bit of a dive here. I thought he definitely was looking for that. Should have been carded. Does not get carded. Play goes on. The other end, Sev. And here we go. I'm telling you, it was a wide-open first half. Fulkrug again and another saved by Matt Turner. Yeah, Tim Ray, maybe not the guy you want there. Last-ditch defending, depending on his athleticism. And then right here, look at this bit of skill. Yeah, bit of skill, a moment of magic. Call it what you want, but Christian Pulisic taking on the entire German defense and finishing like that. Listen, there are a few positions Antonio Rudiger and Hummels want to be in, and that is when you have a player like Christian Pulisic with that ability running full seat ahead of steam, excuse me, right at you. He's going to put it where he wants it. He does so. U.S. up, 1-0. Lead would not last. 39th minute, German slicing through the American defense. Ilke Gundogan makes it 1-1. I mean, somebody, anybody, please just help out Turner. Something, anybody. Uh, Serginho Des leads him inside. We'll get to it in a bit, but wow. 1-1 into the second half. Fulkrug, who had had his chances, finally gets a great one. Won't miss from there. That's what I'm talking about. These little chances that they've given away, just basic defending principles gone awry. And the Germans, just a few minutes later, would add a third through Jamal Musiala as U.S. falls 3-1 to one in Connecticut. Uh, there went my bet. Remember, I was very optimistic. I said uh, U.S. double chance, U.S. win or draw. You had the overhook, so uh, you at least, at least one of us. Uh, was right. Greg Berhalter, not with the greatest record there, as you see, against European competition. Let's hear what he had to say after the game against Germany. Yeah, well, I think the goals, like I mentioned, against quality, the quality opponent like Germany, you have to be able to make um, plays and stay connected in around the penalty box. And you see on the three goals, it, it was a loss of connection um, with the back line. Um, and and the midfield, just overall organization um, on, on those three plays let us down a little bit. But um, 
what we did learn was those moments, um, the speed at which the, you know these top teams can play out, the combinations they can play in really tight spaces was important to learn. And then I think also for us to understand that we can also hurt teams like that. And it should give us some bit of confidence. And as we plot towards 2026, this pathway, um, you know, it's about learning from these moments and understanding that we, we need to stay in it for every single minute of the game to have a chance. Herc, what do you think? Should U.S. fans take confidence from the Americans' performance against Germany, as the manager suggests? What in that performance gave you confidence? A worldly from Christian Pulisic? Is that it? That Timothy Weah can get in behind defenders? That Joe Reyna, in his limited time, he only played 45 minutes, you knew that he would get in between those spaces and could find some opponents? That gives you confidence? What about the rest of the time when they don't have the ball? How about the half chances they're giving up? The lack of defensive principles? The running towards your own goal? The leading players in instead of out to the sideline? The, the lack of staying on your feet, the recognition of knowing that sometimes you don't have to try to force the ball to play out. Sometimes it can be as easy as I don't want to just lump it, but I want to give myself an outlet, give myself a breather. What about those moments? Because I saw a game where the U.S. men's national team were fortunate, very fortunate not to lose 6-7-1. That's a reality. Because apart from the Christian Pulisic goal, there were half chances. They were getting behind, and rightfully so, but the expense of a, a counterattack or, or, or with the hope of somebody getting at the end of something. Uh, and maybe they were in or around the box, tickling the opponent, if you will, but never threatening the opponent. Besides that one play that Christian Pulisic had, I honestly have not seen the U.S. Men's National Team play this bad in quite some time. It could have been hmm. the worst game I've seen under Greg Berhalter. He said it himself. These are 90-minute games. Don't go into it and saying, hey, we strung along a good 26 minutes. Therefore, there are positives in this game. That's not how football works. It is 90 minutes. And in 90 minutes, the better team won. And it doesn't matter how bad Germany was the moment they were in. They made a change in their coach. And with that pool, an awakening to those players in that pool is always going to be trouble. So, no, no confidence in that. Yeah, I'm with you that it could have been 5-1, 6-1, especially if like Fulkrug is any of the classic German forwards of yesterday. If he's a Klinsman, uh, if he's a Bierhoff, if, he, if he's a Klose, if he's any Klose. of those guys, if he's a Podolski. Ooh, Mario Gomez. Um, you know, this is a 5-1, 6-1 easily. And I think that's what's disheartening. And that's what takes away your confidence if you're a U.S. fan, because you know, her that this is the type of matchup you got to win in the knockout rounds to advance. And not only do you know it as a fan, Herc, you know, the players know it as well, right? That's what Weston McKinney told us midweek. The guys know that these are the types of games they have to win. And it would have been one thing if at the end of this game, it's it's 3-2 or it's 4-3 or it's whatever the scoreline is and you felt like they were close. I think in the second half specifically, you really can't have felt like this team was close. And I think the players must know that they're not close to Germany, uh, especially in that second half. So if I'm a US fan and I've been thinking, well, home World Cup coming up, 2026 maybe we can get to the quarterfinals maybe we can make a run to the semifinals this is not the best german team we talked about that all last week this is not a germany you're likely to meet in a semi or a final this is a germany you're going to meet in a quarterfinal a round of 16, round of 16. in this new world cup maybe a round of 32. this is if if you're this far behind this version of germany it does not bode well for 2026 or and it certainly does not bode well i don't think for 2024 which is another big test yeah, the good thing is it's a friendly, right? The good thing is that's what it is. It's not a must-win game today, so you can mm -hmm. take solace in that. Uh, and I'm actually okay with them taking these lumpings right now, taking this beating right now. You're going to learn from it. He should have said that, okay? We take solace in this being a learning moment. That would have been great. We were all in accordance with that's what they need to do is learn from it. Mm -hmm. You're going to learn more from, you know, the times you fall down than, than – all the good times that you have. That's just life in general. But to say that you take confidence from this, I think it's the opposite. Now you go into that Ghana game and you're a bit in your head. You're a bit, wow, we're maybe not as good as we thought we were. Maybe we're not even in, in the moment that we thought we could be in right now. And that's saying something when your best player is in that moment. And in spite of that, you've got good players starting on good teams. 
you can't string along a performance of 30 minutes on home soil. I'll hold my hand up in saying that I think I got a little carried away looking at how the U.S. team was coming in and looking at how the German team was coming in and thinking, all right, this U.S. team is really going to potentially give this German team problems. If we're honest, Herc, and we look at the U.S. 11, I don't think there's a player in that U.S. 11 that gets into the German 11. You could make a case for Christian Pulisic, but you'd have to make a really good argument. And still, then I don't think he gets into the German 11. So. I expected there to be a gap. I just didn't expect the gap to be so pronounced. And that's where I think coaching comes in. That's where I think you can point to what the coach is asking this group of players to do. And you mentioned it there a, a little bit, but it's this playing out of the back that seems to be a risk that right now against opposition like Germany, and again, not the best Germany, is a risk that's not worth taking, not the way this U.S. team is doing it right now. Okay. That's fine and fair. Let's put some blame on Greg Berhalter for the tactics. I've got no issue with that. But Greg Berhalter isn't sitting there while Sergio Desk keeps everybody on side. Greg Berhalter isn't sitting there while Sergio Desk leads Leroy Sané to the middle and Yunus Musa leaves his feet in a very just juvenile manner instead of facing and giving your team a chance. Greg Berhalter's not making these mistakes on the field. He's not the one with the ball at his feet. And is panicking. You know, these are players that play in the Premier League, they play in Serie A. These are big boys that make millions of dollars that are creating, making juvenile mistakes. That's not on Greg Berhalter. Sometimes the players as well have to say, not my night. Chris Richards, mm. Tim Ream, Sergio Dest, Eunice Musta. How frustrated did Weston McKinney look? Mm. Okay. Foran Balligan, the same thing. Sometimes you have to say, me, myself, it's not just the coach. Coach is a big reason, yes. And that is why you yeah. see a pool like Germany do better with a coach like Julian Nagelsmann. Yes. But sometimes it's the players as well. A quick word before we move on to the individual performances, just on the goal from Christian Pulisic. Steve Nickel called it world-class on ESPN FC. I'm sure you'd agree. Yeah, you see, you see Mbappe score that goal. You don't blink twice. Right? It's the world-class goal. You, Christian Pulisic, same thing. I mean, the moment... He got, he got it onto that right foot from the left-hand side. You knew he was going to make a darting run. I thought he was looking for Timothy Way or somebody else, maybe, uh, maybe somebody else darting through for a th through ball. And the moment he has Rudiger and Hummels facing him, I knew it was mm. over, and Ter Stegen could only see it go into that corner. Scored some great ones for the national team. That might be at the very top of the list, if not near it. All right, let's talk about Gio Reyna, because that was the big talking point coming into this game. What was Greg Berhalter going to do with him? He started him. He gave him 45 minutes. What did you think of the performance? I thought that was positive, especially for a player that's only played, what, 26 minutes all year. I thought it was positive to see Gio Reyna enjoying himself. And you know he had a chip on his shoulder for obvious reasons. First camp back with the U.S. Uh, under Greg Berhalter, and he's playing against the German national team. Oh, by the way, where does he, you know, apply his trade? In Germany, in the Bundesliga, it meant something for him. He was very positive when he had the ball, but it's the moments when you don't have the ball, and that's going to be Rust. That's going to be him getting settled and back into it. But just a simple presence of Gio Reyna in the attack third made Christian Pulisic brighter, made Florian mm. Balogun so much brighter. Florian Balogun's a player that you need to get going, right? He's movements. His bread and butter are his movements. When Gio's on the field, you can just see him link up. You can see him give him a, a quick view with the eye. I'm making this run. I know I'm going to get it. Tim Way, the same thing. When he was off the field, we saw a Farland mm. Balogun that kind of shut down, a Farland Balogun that was nowhere to be seen. And if Farland Balogun's on the field and he's making runs and you can't get him the ball, he's not doing much else for you. That's a reality. Mm. He's not defending for you. He's not linking up for you. He's not being dangerous for you. He needs people to recognize those runs so he can get on the end of them and finish. If he doesn't do that, it's just another guy out there. Her Gio Reyna wasn't the standout to me if I was going to pick one from the U.S. in the first half. It definitely would have been Tim Weah. To me, he is yeah. clearly, almost every time he plays, becoming the guy for the U.S. He's so dangerous, uh, and he's so consistent on a team that doesn't always have consistent threats in the attacking third. But I think when you look at, at what happened with Gio Reyna, the best way to evaluate it may be to look at the difference between the first half and the second half, because it is a tale of two halves. How much of that, Herc, in your opinion, was down to the fact that Gio Reyna was on the field for the first 45 minutes and then wasn't for the second 45 minutes? Because I think we saw something similar with the United States in the CONCACAF Nations League. The difference when Gio Reyna is on the field versus off, it's pretty stark. It's almost black and white. 
Yes. Um, I will add another name, Tyler Adams, into the mix. Uh, Giovanni Reina being on the field will occupy defenders in a way where you can give Gio the ball and he will be an outlet. He will get out of things by himself. He can link up to relieve pressure. It definitely gives you something to drive the ball and move forward. But when you don't have that, and when you're going to defend, when you need structure, when you need discipline, that is where you're missing your captain. That is where you're missing a Tyler Adams. Mm. He not being there puts so much more pressure on Eunice Musa, Weston McKinney, but especially Eunice Musa. And in that second half, you can see uh, Eunice, maybe throughout that first half as well, uh, when the ball that Leroy Sané comes right down the middle and he dives and leaves his feet very early. He's not accustomed to being that holding midfielder, and it's going to take some time for him to feel good and comfortable there. He doesn't have the same elements around him as he will at Milan, where the defensive structure just in Italy itself is much more profound than it probably is anywhere else in the world. Uh, you can definitely see that they were missing a player of those attributes. Mm. When you talk about the sixth position, right, I wonder if it's one of those positions where you, if you have two, you don't really have one. Because when Tyler Adams is the guy in there, you know whose responsibility is to do that defensive work. You know who's going to cover the ground. When he's not in there, even when it's Weston McKinney and Eunice Musa, two totally capable players in their own right, mostly in different positions, uh, it seems to be confusion, right? And maybe the Germans were a team that took advantage of that and made that confusion a little bit more obvious. But it seemed to be that that zone right in front of your two center backs is where you're trying to keep the opposition away from was very, very open. And if I were to imagine her a game without Tyler Adams, I would have imagined it like this. I would have imagined a first half that was really end to end wide open. And I would have imagined a second half where the opposition, especially if they're high quality, basically did whatever they wanted to the American midfield. So I, I see the concern here for Tyler Adams. The bigger concern is you. this is the reality of international football. You are always going to have somebody not at your disposal. And if we know anything about Tyler Adams in this current injury, it may be Tyler Adams that's not at your disposal for a while. So it's not enough, is it, to just point at Tyler Adams and say, well, that's the different. That's the reason we got hosed by Germany uh, on Saturday. There has to be more to it than simply his absence. No, it's not just Tyler Adams. They may have still lost the game with Tyler Adams on the field, but it would have been much more competitive than what we saw. And, and there could be a brainiac out there. Well, Tyler Adams on the field when the Netherlands beat the U.S. men's national team in the mm -hmm. round of 16. That's true, but that was a Tyler Adams that was like on 30% energy level because of how much he put into that group phase where he didn't get a rest, where he didn't get a, a breather. Uh, so you could imagine a Tyler Adams that's fully fit um, and fresh in a game like this would have helped your chances, but you're absolutely right. Look, this starts at the front. This, this is the U.S. men's national team having to realize that they're not that team to boss top teams mm. or to try to compete with top teams in that way, and that's fine. Listen, the, the darlings of the last World Cup were Morocco. Morocco mm -hmm. would sit, fight, claw, and defend with every ounce that they had. 11 players on the field. And then they would go up the other end of the field, you know, one or two players at a time or defend on set pieces. And they bounced the likes of Spain, Portugal. They, they got out of the hardest group, uh, you know, in the World Cup. They barely lost out to a team like France. You know, they showed a blueprint of how to compete when you don't have that type of talent. Sometimes it's about swallowing your pride, not letting your ego get in the way. And, and I know Greg Berhalter wants to make this program, mm -hmm. you know, first it was change the way that it, the rest of the world views Americans or American soccer. Now it's, you know, change soccer America forever. That's good and fine. But if you don't win, you're not going to do that. I don't care how pretty you try to play. It's funny you mentioned the Netherlands game. I definitely felt some similarities watching this game to how I felt watching the Netherlands game, uh, just in terms of kind of the gap between the two countries. If there's an example for the Americans to draw from, though, Herc, it, you could easily point to Morocco. You could also point to what this team did against England. They didn't try to go toe-to-toe -to -toe in the traditional sense. It was much more pragmatic. They basically played, if you'll remember, a 4-4-2, which we had not really seen, and it gave the English fits. That's that's something that this team can do. You can play against the best teams in the world or one of the best teams in the world, in this case, England, and play an even match and create your chances and maybe even have a moment to win the game. But when you try to go toe to toe against the Netherlands, when you try to play against the Germany and maybe in a friendly, you allow it. Uh, but this team is just clearly not at that level. It's the pragmatic approach that they need to take, but they've done it before themselves against England. We got to talk about Falaire and Balogun. The striker, okay? Because a lot of people were very excited when he joined this program. He got the start against Germany, played about 65 minutes before being replaced by Ricardo Pepe. No goals, Herc. 
How do you think he's fitting in so far? I mentioned this before, you know, when I when I said it could be a, a wide open race in the ninth position with Ricardo Pepe. It's because of the system. And now, you know, one of our producers, you know, uh, Rafa Luna said that he's a victim of the system and everybody kind of laughed. But that could be true. If you're a player that's dependent on movement to get opportunities in around the box and you don't have anybody supplying you with those opportunities, how are you going to show how good you are? If the majority of your goals that you scored at the club level, a lot of them, by the way, over 20 goals last year, and he's already got three this season right now for the first place team in France. If those goals are based off movement, are based off you getting chances with people picking up your runs, and you're in a team now that's catered, not for the nine to score, but for guys like this to score, the wingers. When you have that type of play, of course you're going to be limited. He's offsides right there. Slow to recognize the run. Okay, where he gets the ball, it's in the channel. Right there, not right to him. I mean, of course it's gonna be frustrating for him. And I feel the better the competition gets, the more difficult it will be for anybody to supply him with any quality looks. Mm. I don't know if you remember, it was I think in the eighth minute, ninth minute, it was one of the first good chances for the US beside the offside from Pulisic. Weya breaks down the right wing, he crosses it, and Christian Pulisic almost gets in Balogun's way. Like, you can see yeah. the two of them going for the same ball. And you I don't know if you caught it. Did you see the reaction from Balogun? There's clearly a frustration, a throwing of the hands up of like, hey, I'm the number nine. This is, this is where I'm supposed to be. I think that's this is now, aside from results, and really, if you're going to tell me, well, it's Germany, it's just a friendly. We really don't have anything super important then until Copa America, right? So outside of important games that I can judge Greg Berhalter on, I think the, the most important thing that he can be judged on now is how much he gets out of Balogun because everybody knows what this guy is. It was it was proven last year in the French League. It's being proven again this year in the French League. And if Greg Berhalter can get this guy to be the guy we all think he's going to be and not the quiet 66 minutes that he had against Germany, then it'll be, a, it'll be a, a feather in his cap. If he can't, I think it's evidence for all those people that say Greg Berhalter's not the guy to move this team forward because he has been handed a beautiful piece. And if you can't figure out how to get that piece to work, you're going to have problems. And right now, Herc, it doesn't look like they know how to best utilize that piece. Not at all. Not at all. Because it's not just this game he looked frustrated. We saw the footage last game. I believe it was the Oman game um, or Uzbekistan. I don't recall which game it was. At a halftime, right before he's coming out, he's seen talking to Greg Berhalter, and he didn't look so pleased. So frustration setting in because he knows his standard and he knows what the fans expect out of him or what he wants to give the fans. So it's a frustrating position to be in for a forward. All right, so let's move on from the frustrations of the weekend, and let's look ahead to Tuesday against Ghana. Herc, talk to me about the 11 that you expect to see on the field when the U.S. and Ghana square off yet again. You could say it. I hit I hit the last 11, by the way, uh, against mm -hmm. uh, Germany. Mm -hmm. I, I called it to a T. Who would play where? Okay, and who would come out at minute 45? You and your good friend Greg Berhalter. You must be trading text messages, WhatsApp. He's telling you what that. he's going to do. Huh? You don't, okay, don't, okay. don't get jealous, Sebby. Don't get jealous. All right. That's all right. okay. Um, you got honestly, your friends. I got none. If I, if I could crawl into the mind of Greg Berhalter again, I'm thinking that he doesn't want to get club teams upset, so there may be some rotation mm. here. And I'm thinking... Dest is a question mark for me, but I think he goes back to the right. I think we might see Miles Robinson, Cameron Carter, Vickers uh, at center back position. Uh, Loon down the left. I think we'll see Gio Reyna again because he, listen, Greg Berhalter talks. He gives us clues. He said same plan as following Balogun to get him minutes. That's what he did last time. He got two 45-minute cameos. I think we're going to see it again. Uh, Gio Reyna, 45 minutes. Weston McKinney, uh, I think Eunice is going to get a break here, and it's going to be uh, Luca De La Torre. I think up top is where I have my it's where I have my doubts because uh, mm. Christian Pulisic when he gets overworked we see some either injury history or a un bajon or a, a, a drop in play in his game so my doubt is Pulisic to start um, way and Pulisic would be the other side of each and uh, way I think will get the start and I think he goes Ricardo Pepe in this one I think he's gonna give Pepe a run here and listen after what I saw at Ghana, we'll get into that right now versus Mexico. Um, this is a game the U.S. men's national team has to win. Mm, has to win. Yes. Uh, just so, just just for clarity's sake, I know we've got this kind of showing as a four-three-three, 
Is that what you're thinking, or are you thinking this is a 4-2-3-1, so McKinney and De La Torre are kind of your double pivots? Yes, sir. With Reina then in the 10. Okay, all right, just just, just to clarify. It's not going to yes. be different from what they tried before. It'll be a kind of similar um, formation. What are your expectations? You say win. I would, I would think the same, right? If you're a U.S. fan, it's one thing to lose to Germany. Uh, it's another thing to lose to Ghana, especially Ghana that we just saw lose to a Mexico that if you're a U.S. fan, you know you're better than. So yeah. I, I'm with you. If I'm, a, if I'm a U.S. fan here, I'm expecting a convincing win over Ghana. I don't know about convincing. I'm going to give Ghana a lot of credit here. They, they didn't play well at all versus Mexico, but that's a team that was the youngest team at the World Cup. It's a team that's got a lot of talent all over the field. We didn't see uh, Iñaki Williams play. He may play. It's a very dangerous player. I think Ghana's got a lot of talent going forward. Can definitely hurt you. Um, and we'll be chomping at the bit to prove that what – they played against or their style of play or what they showed against Mexico isn't uh, isn't Ghana's football, isn't what they've uh, done with Chris Hutton, this coach. Um, I believe it was the first loss for Chris Hutton with this Ghanaian team. So I think we're going to see a better version of Ghana. That's still, I would say the same for the U.S. men's national team. If you put in that performance, I'll repeat, for my money, it was the mm -hmm. worst performance I've seen under Greg Berhalter for the U.S. men's national mm -hmm. team. When you put in that type of shift on home soil, you should be chomping at the bit yourself for a little bit of vindication, to show this fan base, to show the world, as you say, uh, that you're better than that. And with that should come improved play. And I do think they get the win versus Ghana. Hi, this is ESPN's Mike Greenberg. And ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sports book of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today and new users get $100 in bonus bets for making any sports book bet. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Tired of ads interrupting your favorite sports podcasts? Good news! Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music, included with your Prime membership. Amazon Music offers the most ad-free top podcasts. Enjoy shows like First Take, Pardon the Interruption, and The Low Post, available ad-free and uninterrupted. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app or go to Amazon.com slash ESPN Pods. That's Amazon.com slash ESPN Pods to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. So the United States men's national team will face Ghana. Ghana, of course, getting warm up with Mexico over the weekend. Let's check out the highlights from the showdown in North Carolina. Charlotte, to be precise, as always, a uh, big crowd there to watch the Mexican national team. Jimmy Lozano and company getting things started on the half hour mark. Raul Jimenez in the starting 11 and busting out the Rabona Herc. Yeah, this is wild. Listen, I know Raul Jimenez has zero goals, zero minutes in the Premier League, but the confidence that he's got, he looks like a different player with Fulham. I, I really think it's, it's the goals that are missing for him. Uh, tries this audacious and then a little volley from uh, your man Edson. I think zero goals, zero assists. He has definitely played minutes. Here's Chiquito Sanchez in and saved. I said assist, didn't I? Oh, apologies if I did not. Good shot there by Chiquito Sanchez. And then Chucky Lozano. Did it get deflected here, El Chucky Lozano. If it was, I didn't see it, baby. Chucky on the score sheet. You love to see it. Yeah, it's the house special, right? Uh, from the left side in, cut in, cuts into the right, near post finish. He's going to get a deserve, deserve break. Uh, watch Chino Huerta come on in an Antuna. Antunas, say what you will about him. I know you hate on him, but the man gets chances. <laughs> and chances, and he's so dangerous. And we're gonna see it again. Yeah, Antuna getting in behind. You know he's a speed merchant. Almost the one-time finish. Uh, couldn't quite convert there. 72nd minute though, Mexico on the counter. Chino Huerta running the break, slips it ahead to Antuna. And Herc, he does finish here. I mean, it's a beautiful ball by Chino Huerta. And then Uriel Antuna with a uh, very, very nice one-time finish. Listen, the ball is sexy, in a space. He just has to look up and put it away. Keeper comes out, can't do anything about it. Mexico looking for more late in the game. Huerta with the quick throw in here. Juan Sebastián Córdoba, the volley. Diving save for the Ghanaian goalie to keep it at 2-0. Yeah, but just the, uh, I mean, why are you trying it from there? Look at the confidence this man has. Luis Chavez with a shot in stoppage time over the bar. And Mexico wins by a final score of 2-0 in Charlotte. It's here from Jimmy Lozano. 
Sin duda que me gustó el, el trabajo defensivo. Las presiones fueron mucho mejores, estuvimos más juntos. Eh, muy pocas ocasiones de gol del rival, eso siempre me va a gustar. Creo que normalmente eh, en base a una idea de juego y en base a un trabajo me gusta que no nos generen tantas opciones de gol. Y, y de lo que fuimos en septiembre a lo que fuimos el día de hoy con un rival también muy fuerte, con un rival muy potente físicamente y con individualidades que también eran de mucho cuidado, para mí es lo que, lo que más destaco, este, este, este mantener el cero atrás. Eh, bueno, traje tres grandes delanteros, lo hablé hace unos días, en qué base mi decisión, en el rival, en el momento de Raúl, en lo que nos mostró Raúl el, los dos partidos anteriores, lo decía, él hizo tres goles en, en dos partidos, y no es porque Santi no haya hecho, pero me parece que los dos, ellos dos que vinieron la vez pasada y ahora que se suma Henry, pues es una bonita competencia. Eh, seguramente haremos eh, algunos cambios para lo que viene de Alemania, pero uno trata de mover las piezas de acuerdo a los rivales y, y fomentar esta competencia que, 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 que deben de tener ellos dos. Ok, Herc, I was screaming at my phone when I saw Jimmy Lozano's lineup on Saturday night. No Santi Jimenez in the 11 against Ghana to start the game. We'll talk about that in just a second, but let's look at the performance as a whole. Was it convincing? Are you? Um, yes, it's convincing. Now, there's a bit of hesitation in my voice because yes. it wasn't necessarily... Convincing's doing a lot of work there. It's well, a, it's it's carrying a lot. Well, well let, let's go through the list of why I'll say it's, it's, it's convincing, but I, there's hesitation mm -hmm. in my voice. I mean, uh, I'll possess Ghana. Yes, they did. Did they outshoot Ghana? Yes, they did. Did Ghana ever threaten the Mexican national team? No, they didn't. I don't even think they shot on goal. I think they had zero shots against the Mexican national team. So Correct. it's a convincing win when you dominate these categories and score multiple goals. Okay, when your goalkeeper never is threatened, it's convincing. But we've seen convincing performances from the Mexican national team. Hell, we've seen convincing performances from Jimmy Lozano's Mexican national team. This wouldn't be what I would call on par with those convincing performances, the way they played against Honduras in the Gold Cup, the way they played against Costa Rica in the Gold Cup, uh, for long stretches um, versus Panama in the Gold Cup final, et cetera, et cetera. But when you play about a team, the level of competition, you don't think this Ghana team is better than those well, teams they faced in the Gold Cup? That's exactly where I'm going with that. When you play a team like Ghana, who's been to the last four World Cups, who has all but two of this roster, the players on this roster that play in Europe, top quality teams in Europe, and you make them play that way, you make them not be that great on the field, that's because you're doing something well. So thoroughly deserve the win, and I would say convincing, sure, but not the convincing that we would uh, normally say when it comes to the Mexican national team. Yes, exactly. Let's not lose sight of where Mexico is, right? Both in the micro and in the macro. It's convincing for what we've seen recently from Mexico. The World Cup was abysmal, the worst since the 1970s. The summer was worse. And in the last international window, they played two games and didn't win, right? And it wasn't monstrous teams we're talking about. It's Australia and Uzbekistan. So to look a victory against a team that usually makes the World Cup and say, ah, oh, well, It was 2-0, it was pretty comfortable, it wasn't convincing, is harsh if we're being honest about the standards of Mexican soccer right now. But Herc, I, I won't sit here and say that they dominated the game, that they were, that they were wonderful and, and, and great to watch going forward. There were a few chances here and there, they were much less vulnerable defensively, and that's what Jimmy Lozano led with in the soundbite that we heard. That's the most important thing. For all Mexico has been in the last two years, they have been incredibly vulnerable defensively, even with the ball. Here they had the ball and managed not to concede so many chances. That's the most positive takeaway for me about this game. The, the biggest negative for me about this game is that really, if I want to evaluate this team, which I think is what we should be doing in an international break three years before a World Cup and less than a year before the Copa America in the United States, we should be taking a look at this team and evaluating them for how they play against good teams in, in competitions and in scenarios that feel like they might be what you're going to get in those big tournaments. And I'm sorry, Herc, playing on turf in Charlotte, North Carolina, is not what you're going to get at Copa America 2024. It's not what you're going to get in the World Cup in that. 2026. And and I'm sorry to be the one that always has to come back to railing against the, the cash grab nature of these games. But 
at least put this team on grass. People were screaming about the U.S. team. Why are they playing in East Hartford, Connecticut? Because you can get a grass field in a place where you can seat 40,000 because you got a draw like Germany. That's why they were in East Hartford. U.S. Soccer Federation, for as much as you want to criticize them, made a decision, right, that was about sporting, playing the game on grass. Why can't the Mexican Soccer Federation make the same choice? Why are we playing on turf? Which, one, doesn't allow you to prepare as you should be preparing because it's not what you're going to face in real tournaments, but it's also, we know, an added injury risk. Can you imagine if a Chucky Lozano or if a Santi Jimenez, maybe that's why he wasn't on the field, get hurt on the turf in Charlotte? It'd be madness. Well, there was actually a Ghanaian player who got injured on the turf. He came out in the first half. I don't know if you saw when he comes out. I, I don't want to diagnose what I think it was, but it, right. it wasn't It wasn't something that It looked I, bad. It looked bad. It looked turf. It, it looked turfy, yes, yes. But listen, you're right. It's funny. I actually thought you were going to say this. Do you know where the last three games for the Mexican national team have been played? Give it to me. On turf! The last three ah, yes. games for the Mexican national team have been played on turf. They can care less about the product on the field. They can care less about who they play against. They want the gate. They want the money. Mm. They want los dólares. And they had, uh, they certainly got los dólares in Charlotte because that was a, a packed house for sure. Let's talk about the decision to start Raúl Jiménez over Santiago Jiménez. What do we make of it? How do we explain it, Herc? What is Jimmy Lozano thinking or trying to prove here? Listen, Jimmy, Jimmy, much like Greg Berhalter, talks a bit too much for my liking. It plays his hand. Uh, listen, last go around, we spoke about this. Uh, you and Professor Beto were trying to tell me that Santi Jiménez is his guy. That's what he's saying. He's telling the world, I think like you, it's Santi Jimenez. And I'm sitting here, I don't know. I don't know about this. And what does he tell us after? Raul Jimenez scored three three goals in the last two games for the Mexican national team in the last window. It's an open competition. And then he also gives us a sneak peek into his psyche. I'm going to move the pieces depending on the opponent. That's the worst thing I can hear if I'm a Santi believer. It's just more reasons not to play the man. What does Santiago Jimenez need to do today in 2023, the year of our Lord, to get on mm -hmm. the field? Tata Martino didn't give him a run. Diego Coca didn't give him a run. Now is Jimmy Lozano not giving him a run? The man is being linked to the biggest teams in the world, the biggest leagues in the world, 12 goals in eight games. And you're trying to tell me that playing soccer, playing football on a turf field in CONCACAF is all, all of a sudden going to be too much for him? And a friendly, mm. he started two games under Jimmy Lozano. How is that possible? Yeah, when Lozano does the explanation and he says, el rival. Well, it was, why the decision? Well, it was based on the rival. Again, this is one of those scenarios. I just go back to Tata Martino at the World Cup. You found a reason to take Edson out of your 11? Like, it doesn't matter if it's Martians coming down, you know, from outer space. You put Edson in your 11. Same here with Santiago Jimenez. Now, there's an obvious reason why you don't play Santiago Jimenez. As you mentioned, Hurt, he is a huge asset for a club. And you mentioned it with the U.S. team. Maybe they're trying to re, you know, have some good relationships with clubs, keep some guys healthy. If I'm Feyenoord and I see that Mexico's playing on turf, I'm going to say, mm, I don't think I want him starting that game. I don't think I probably want him playing in that game if you have to use him fine. But if you're going to start him, I'd much prefer to see him play on grass. And by the way, I'd much prefer to see him play Germany because it's a much better showcase. If he does something against Germany on grass, that might mean something to those clubs that are interested in him. If he does something on the turf against Ghana, nobody's going to care. So I think there's some a potentially a non-conspiracy, non-Raul Jimenez is somehow ahead of Santiago Jimenez in the pecking order, but just Jimmy Lozano looking at the situation and saying Santiago Jimenez is going to go for me against Germany because that's the game I value most. That's the most difficult opponent, and that's who's going to get my best 11. What do you want to bet he doesn't play 90 minutes? Uh, 90 minutes and what do you want to if bet? he doesn't start, he's 22 look, years old. Changes. What do you want to bet? All of this changes. No, no, no. Everything. If he doesn't start Santiago Jimenez against Germany, we have a real problem, I didn't right? Say he won't this start. conversation, I didn't say this he conversation won't start. is a moot point. Now, if we go back to back games of Raul Jimenez with an informed Santiago Jimenez, here, said. we got a real problem. I think Santi will start. What do you want to bet he doesn't play 90 minutes, the full 90 minutes? 
I wouldn't bet it, but I don't really mind if he doesn't play 90. Do I need to see him play 90 minutes? If he gets 60 or 70, I'm okay with that. I want to see him start. That's the most Listen important thing. My and I want to see him start with the A team. Ah. I want to see him play with Chucky Lozano. I want to see Chino Huerta. We already spoke He's about this. He's you're, you're taking my take right here. All right? You know how I feel about this. And this is how Santi Jimenez would feel about this as well. It's the most messed up thing for a forward in the world when you're trying to win a position. You're the youngest guy. Okay, probably on this mm -hmm. team. If you think about it, he's probably the youngest player on this team. 22 years old, and you're trying to win a position. And the coach is going to put you against a harder opponent, less time. Oh, and with on. the reserve side, listen to what I'm saying. And with the reserve side, if I'm Santi Jimenez at some point, I'm thinking, yo, when can I get a run with the A team? Okay. When can it be this guy supplying me the ball? When can it be that guy in my wing? When can it be this guy right behind me? Huh? Huh? Yeah. Huh, Seb? I'm, la I'm laughing because producer Bretha was saying something in my ear, which I was thinking. You actually believe Mexico is not going to field their A team against Germany? No, no. I think they will field a mixed team, and that is different from the A team. Mm. I mean, if Mexico doesn't field their A team against Germany, I might be more upset than if they don't start Santiago Jimenez. So if Mexico Jimenez. fields, if Mexico how many, fields how many, a mixed Mexico team, Mexico has no qualifiers, has no good opponents. You finally get Germany. You're not going to start your A team against it. They better play the A team. Can you can you remind me the last window against Australia and, and uh, Uzbekistan? It, was it the same eleven in both games? No, but this oh. is different. This is Germany. Oh. Come on. Okay. Not every window is the same. Well, I guess we'll find out. I mean. Uh, you already proved me right with the Santi Jimenez Raul one, so maybe I'll be proved right again. Ten seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships. Your skills. Your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? <laughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash network. Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac, weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And... Boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good! The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Okay, let's go from the uh, front of the formation to the back of the formation. We'll discuss the defenders. Johan Vasquez and Cesar Montes seem to be hurt. A pretty good pairing in central defense. Should they be the go-to pairing for Mexico moving forward? I mean, yes, absolutely. I will count. I will counter with this, Seb, and I mean it in the most professional manner. Who mm -hmm. else? <laughs> Who else? No, no, yeah. don't don't chuckle. I'm being honest. Like, forget about. For, let's just for a second talk about this duel, okay? Um, I believe they played four games together this year. Zero goals allowed. I don't care if you're playing Central American teams only, or if you're playing Concacaf teams only. Can't do better only. than zero. A zero is a zero, okay? That's a great tandem right there, and it also happens to be two of the center backs that you have that play in Europe or, or, or compete in Europe, I should say, right? Um, who else? I mean, you're down to Ramon Juarez and you're down to Victor Guzman who ended up going home injured and maybe a Jesus Angulo who could come in or you go back to the well and it's Hector Moreno. I mean, who else? This is not only the best duo, but by default, the only duo you can see there and feel good about. Yeah. Default is the right word, man. There's not a lot of choices here. I would like to make the point that I see these two guys in different categories. To me, Cesar Montes is absolutely a guy that you build around in the center of defense. The jury's still out for me on Johan Vasquez. I would love it to be Johan Vasquez, but if we look at, one, his performances with the national team, they have not been convincing, certainly not as a central defender. And if we look at what he's doing in Europe, where he plays right now for Genoa, Herc, it's a 50-50. You're just as likely to see him playing as a left back yeah. 
in a back four as anything else. That to me is the concern. Johan Vasquez today might be the leader in the clubhouse because he's a left-footed player who can play center back. But Cesar Montes to me is an A starter. He's a guy who has proven already at the highest level that he can do it and do it for Mexico. He was one of the few, and maybe bright spots, not the right word. But he was one of the few semi-bright spots for Mexico in the World Cup. Okay, Johan Vasquez is not at that level yet for me. So I'll put Cesar Montes there uh, as as a rock. He's got to be in every eleven that I see for Jimmy Lozano. Yeah. Johan Vasquez, man, there's there's room to work there, and there's room for somebody else. And this is if you're an American fan, this is where you're laughing because you say we got John Brooks and we don't even call him in a guy starting in the Bundesliga, left footed center back. Mexico would kill for a John Brooks. Yeah, well, if you think about it right now, who's in that depth chart? You've got I agree with you, Cesar Montes, right? And then. You got Johan Vasquez, and then Victor Guzman didn't play one single minute in the Gold Cup. And, and then you have players like Sepulveda uh, from, from Chivas, and we've seen what he can do against Uzbekistan. He really struggled. And you Terrible. Have, yeah, you have other players who probably aren't there yet, like uh, Ramon Juarez. And maybe he can get there, but right now he's mm-hmm. only got less than 40 professional games under his belt, zero with the full national team. So it, it does look like, at least right now, it's Cesar Montes, and Johan Vasquez, and I'll say by default, sure, but I will give Johan Vasquez his flowers here. I mean, this is a guy that, say what you will, but he's making less money mm. uh, to fight Claw, to try to compete in Europe. Uh, literally every single week, it's a doubt if you'll be in the lineup, and then he wins his place, and he's using that experience. He's using that just, I guess, you know, battle, um, that exposure, if you will, to come in and try to be something with the Mexican national. So I'll give him some credit there. I'd love it if it were these two. I mean, they're the perfect age. Vasquez, 24, and Cesar Montes, 26. So uh, it would be great if it did work out. Herc, you seem to think that we're going to get a little bit less than Mexico's best 11 against Germany. So let me show you the 11 that I would like to see, slash uh, I think we might see for the game between Mexico and Germany, which, of course, we remember is a uh, rematch. Who could forget of the first game at the 2018 World Cup? for both sides. Herc, you and I were there in Moscow at the game where Chucky Lozano scored the famous game winner. Here's my preferred 11 against, uh, g- against this is what I would like Germany. to see against Germany on Tuesday. Um, Santiago Jimenez, Chucky Lozano, Chino Huerta, which is basically what I wanted to see kind of against Ghana on, uh, on Saturday. I'm going uh, Chiquito Sanchez, uh, Luis Chavez, and Edson Alvarez in midfield. And then I made one change on the back line. Wait, this is definitely um, not what I sent in. Um, this is actually totally different than what I sent in. Let me tell you what I sent in. Okay. <laughs> I sent it. I sent in the front three, um, a similar midfield three. I didn't make too many changes on the uh, back line, but I did as as was part of that graphic. I did put in Kevin Alvarez uh, as your right back, and I want to see Memo in this game because I want to see Mexico's best against Germany. I think it is important to take advantage of this opportunity and test yourself if you're Mexico. And if you're a Mexico fan, you should be very nervous about this game because if you just watched what this Germany did to the U.S., they wiped the floor with them, and you remember what this U.S. did to Mexico over the summer, things could get very ugly, especially if what Herc is suggesting comes to pass, which is Mexico does not field their best 11. Well, just a few things. Very quickly, uh, Germany may field an alternate 11. Remember, Julian Nagelsmann is still looking at players, so that could be something where they may have a different opponent. Not necessarily a weaker opponent, just different opponent. Uh, still a very good pool of players. And you blow my mind. You sit here mm-hmm. on your soapbox and you scream and shout generational change. And, and then they call up four goalkeepers and you want Memo to get back-to-back starts? You are something Let's else. Go. I wanted Malagón to get the game against Ghana. That's that's where I need to see the backup. I don't need to see Memo Choa playing on turf against Ghana. I need to see him against Germany here. But fine, if you want to give somebody else a shot and goal, I would not care. I want to see Kevin Alvarez because Jorge Sanchez, he got his run. I did make another change. Yeah? I went Orbelin, Luis Chavez, and Edson. I'm looking at it on my phone now. That's the midfield I want to see with Chucky, Chino, and Santi up top. So there you go. That that's my my Mexico eleven. I think Herc they got to go with the uh, with the full team. Yeah, interesting that Orbelin would then drop from the front line to the midfield line, which I'm not opposed to. He's he's proven to be a very capable player there. But interesting lineup nonetheless. Uh, will be very very interesting to see how they perform against Germany. Um, I just told you my expectations. They were not very optimistic. What are yours? 
I, I think Germany wins. I just think Germany's pool is a much better pool. I think Julian Nagelsmann is a, is a very good uh, coach. Um, something tells me that Jimmy will tinker. And I, I like and respect Jimmy very much. But in this brief time as a Mexican national team manager, he's gone into panic mode in a, few a few times where he maybe has a plan and that plan gets nixed if the result isn't going their way. And what I mean by that is, uh, Memo was never meant to play a full night against Uzbekistan, but he realized that they were in a position where they could lose that game, and he made him play the full 90, would not give somebody else a run. So I'm hoping something like this doesn't detour us seeing a, I don't know, Ramon Juarez or, or Santi Jimenez get more time than, than one would think, or, or a player in the midfield like Marcel Ruiz or Cortizo mm -hmm. get a run, that type of thing. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Biggest rivalry in Liga Mac. It's depending on who you ask. I think the historians would tell you. It's Club America against Chivas. Well, of course, we are in the international break, but why not take the guys who aren't on international duty and make some money? That's right. They played in California in front of more than 80,000 Herc, and Julian Quinones did that. El Mexicano con un golazo versus the, the Mexicans, uh, Chivas. Uh, that is a golazo right there. And when it's when you're good, you're good. No puede fallar, la tiene derecha. Look at that. I mean, he mishits this sub, and it still goes in. There you go. Julian Quinones with a uh, brace has Club América in a friendly that will never truly be a friendly. Wins 2-0. How about the pyrotechnics there? <laughs> oh, my goodness. What a scene. Do you know how, yes. how pissed off the, the people in Pasadena must be? That is a... Pretty luxurious neighborhood right there. Should be no fireworks going on. So the uh, official attendance is somewhere over 80,000, Herc. They set a record for the biggest crowd to ever watch two Mexican teams play in the United States. And again, Herc, this was not a Liga Mekis regular season game. This was not a CONCACAF Champions Cup game. This was a friendly. Something, nothing, or everything. Everything. But it's everything we already knew. Um, I, I will say, I don't think this is just a record for the biggest uh, attendance in a match involving two Mexican clubs. I think it's the biggest soccer match in, in, in California. I think that's the record. Uh, you saw El Trafico. They broke that record. I think this 86,000 breaks the El Trafico record of this summer that we just saw. So it goes to show you how well they're doing. And listen, this is a friendly. This is everything because this is all the reason of why Mexico plays their games in the U.S., why they go to Charlotte on turf, why they go to Mercedes-Benz in Atlanta on turf, against whomever you want. And this has been going on for years and years and years. I believe the stat was uh, heading into the Ghana game, it would be the 185th game in U.S. soil, okay, for the Mexican national team. There's a reason for that, the profit, the money they get out of the gates, because they sell mm -hmm. nostalgia. A lot of these fans were coming in with the hopes of seeing, well, the A-team. America were missing nine to ten players on international duty. Seven of those starters, big-time players, and they're still there to see him. Chivas right now is a team that's had, what, one win in the last six, seven games, seven games, I believe, and they're still there to support their teams, and they're paying top dollar. This is just everything we already knew. Yeah. 
It's important to remind folks, this is not everything out of Liga Mekis, right? This is not all of League's Cup. There's a bunch of Cincinnati's versus Queretaro's, as we have once been reminded. But when you put these two teams on, uh, it really doesn't matter. You're going to get a great crowd. And usually if it's on television, you're going to get a great rating as well. 86,134, the final attendance there between Club America and Chivas. All right. Uh, yes, let's talk NWSL next, shall we? NWSL Decision Day on Sunday. Six games going down at once. San Diego Way, they won the Shield. Got some help. Portland lost. Talk about that in a second. But San Diego beating Racing Louisville 2-0. Goals from Alex Morgan and Jaden Shaw. So on top of the regular season title, they'll also get a chance potentially to host the championship. That's right. The NWSL Championship set for San Diego on November 11th. OL Reign winning 3-0 over Chicago Red Stars to clinch a playoff spot. Megan Rapino in what could have, could have been her last game ever, scored twice as uh, O.L. Reign get a big three points in the Windy City. Megan Rapino guaranteeing herself at least one more bite at the apple in the National Women's Soccer League. O.L. Reign clinching a playoff spot on the last day of the regular season. What about in Los Angeles? Our very own Hercules Gomez in attendance at this one. Angel City has started the day below the playoff line, but it's not how you start, it is how you finish and Angel City finished. They beat Portland 5-1 to one on an afternoon that featured not one, not two, not three, not four, but five different goal scores. Sydney LaRue with the uh, bicycle kick. That was the pick of the bunch. Gotham FC, they needed a result to punch their ticket. Playing already eliminated KC Current. They actually wasted a 2-0 lead. The game ends in a 2-2 draw. It was Allie Krieger's regular season finale. Could have been her last game as well. Uh, but Gotham clinches a postseason spot thanks to the point earned. Washington Spirit, they were at home against the North Carolina Kurds. Both teams needing a win. And this game might have come down to that moment. Trinity Rodman sent off early in the first half in tears. North Carolina scoring almost immediately after her ejection. And the Courage get a big win over Washington. Last but not least, Orlando beating Houston. Late penalty from Marta. The difference, both teams started the day below the playoff line. Both teams ending the day below the playoff line. Orlando just missing out to Gotham, thanks to the always cruel tiebreaker. All right, so that was the action on decision day. Where does it leave us as far as the bracket is concerned? Well, San Diego and Portland, they get the bye into the semifinals. Gotham and North Carolina will play over the weekend. Angel City will visit OL Reign on Friday. For more, we welcome in our good friend and colleague, Jeff Kasuf. You can find his work at ESPN.com. You can also find his work over at Equalizer Soccer. Jeff, great to have you. Boy, uh, NWSL fans, they've been clamoring for decision day for a long time. We finally got it, and it was, I mean, they couldn't have drawn up a better script at the league office, could they? No, I mean, all six games had some kind of an impact on the playoff race. Eight teams looking for those final four spots on the final day. I have personally been clamoring for this for a while. I wrote about it last year. If we had it last year, we could have had something similar. So I was excited to see it. I think we got, we didn't get a ton of movement of, of teams jumping in and out of the actual, you know, behind the red line for the playoffs. But we did have movement within the standings. We did eventually, as you said, have Angel City jump into it. The only team to jump in from from looking on the outside when they entered the day. So uh, it was an exciting day. It's a day that I, I hope uh, I hope the league grows from this with with how spectacular it was. Honestly, it's it's what it should be. This is the kind of excitement we've been waiting for. It felt significant, certainly if you're a San Diego fan. Uh, you wouldn't know it from the trophy they were given, though. It, it feels more like a dish. We can we can talk about that uh, a little yeah. bit later. But let's talk about the significance of what San Diego has accomplished here. Uh, not just winning the regular season. Of course, we know the NWCL championship will be in San Diego November 11th. But they've done this uh, as a recent expansion team, Jeff. It really is noteworthy. It is. I mean, it's only the fourth franchise if you count the Courage and the Flash as one, which they were. The Flash relocated to North Carolina. So 10 years now, 10 regular seasons, that is. Four franchises have won this this shield. The Rain, the Thorns, uh, and the Courage slash Flash. And the Wave joined that only in year two. So you look at some of these original teams that have never done it, and you look at them doing that second season, as you said, their first season as ex expansion team. They lead the league for about half the year last year. And then um, you look at how they did this. Um, really exceptional to, to do this in the most 
the tightest, historically tight uh, standings in this league. I mean, this is a league known for parity, but 13 points separating all 12 teams first to last this year. Uh, when you look at the wave on top, the Red Stars on the bottom. So the most competitive season we've seen in what's already a frequently deemed the most competitive league in the world and the wave prevail obviously got some significant help from their rivals to the north on the day but um, to do that this quickly uh, it really confirms what they've done from the start which is they built this team differently different from different from other expansion teams and and they've managed to really find an identity in a way that some teams some franchises really haven't been able to do in many more years in this league Jeff, you mentioned the help from their friends to the north, uh, rivals to the north. I was at that game, their rivals to the north. The Angel City game versus Portland was spectacular. I'm telling you, I've been to some great atmospheres before, but this was up there. Everybody's pulling up their phones, seeing where they stand with the scoreline. Are they in fifth place? Are they in sixth place? Can they make a jump even further? Great atmosphere. They look good. Angel City looked really good. Seb already mentioned five different goal scorers. Under interim coach uh, Becky Tweed, I believe they only lost once in the last 13 games. Am I crazy to think that Angel City could make a run? Can they be an actual threat in these playoffs? Yeah. No, you're not crazy at all because, I mean, this is the NWSL playoffs, right? And and this is, you need to be hot at the right time. They certainly are. They have been really since Tweed took over, as you said, which is, is several months now. So, um, you know, look, they're at the point now where, I think it doesn't get any hotter than beating the Portland Thorns 5-1, even if the Thorns were obviously missing some players. Sophia Smith still working her way back into to the starting lineup from injury. But, um, you know, I, I think that's an emphatic result, certainly the most emphatic result Angel City's ever had in their two years of existence to get them into the playoffs. And now they're, look, I mean, they're three wins from a championship. That's the bottom three, three advancements even. I mean, get, get through the 90, the 120, right? So... Um, in, in that context, you think about 2021 with the Washington Spirit making a late season run, very different circumstances. But, you know, I, I think contextually gives you that that example of, of many examples in this league where you need to be hot at the right time. And, and Angel City is. I mean, it's it's three way, three games and, and they've got a title. It's it's possible. Certainly. Jeff, if Angel City were the darlings of Decision Day, the opposite was my beloved Washington Spirit. I thought for sure at home this team would get the job done. Obviously, everything changes as soon as Trinity Rodman goes off the field. There's some part of me that wants to say, hey, you're the star of this team. you got to be more responsible than that. But when you watch the play, Jeff, I mean, it's, it's the definition of an accident. And so you, you feel for the player, and you know why mm -hmm. she left the field in tears. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. I mean, certainly no intent there. Um, you know, again, VAR in its first season in the NWSL. I think when you look at it by the, by the letter of the law, I think VAR – gets this right, changing it from a yellow to a red. It, it does feel harsh, the, the intent not, not being there. Um, you saw the reaction from her, as you said, Sebi, I mean, in tears off the field. I think she knew what that meant to her team in that moment, having to chase a game and and knowing that they needed a result and maybe some other results to go their way. Um, look, I, you know, Washington this year, they started off fairly strong. The diamond midfield was really giving some teams, including the Wave, some problems in that early season game where they played San Diego at home. And, and then, you know, the, the more direct style where typically in the league, at least historically, maybe that has worked. It, Washington was one of the most direct teams in the league this year, statistically. Uh, the fewest number of passes, the fewest number of, of short passes. I mean, you go down the, the list of statistics that spell it out, and um, it, it came back to haunt them, I think. I mean, I, I can see why, because you have Rodman, you have Hatch. You can play Rodman behind at any time. You can play, you know, Hatch is a poaching goal scorer, so you kind of play to those strengths. But I, I think it was a little bit too predictable, a little bit too easy to figure out in the end, and, and ultimately it cost them. All right, Jeff, let's talk the big one. MVP. Who could have picked it? I picked Sophia Smith. Mm. I don't know if you're going to go with Sophia Smith. <laughs> right now, I think she's a front runner. Who's the MVP? Who's the favorite to win the NWSL MVP? Yeah, look, I do like that you have Gurma on there because I think that's a good shout and one that doesn't get, um, you know, won't be mentioned much among, we always talk about goal scorers. But I do think as obvious as it feels, Sophia Smith is the MVP or, or will be the MVP here because it's it's Golden Boot again, yes, and it's not a default that Golden Boot should be MVP, but she's done it in the fewest number of minutes among those goal scorers. She's done it, um, you know, in a season where I think it reminds me a bit of 2021 where we didn't have like a standout group, right? Like last year it was Sophia Smith, 
Mallory Pugh, Alex Morgan, that, that three, I think any of those three would have made a lot of sense, right? They were all just exceptional in a way that was so much above the, their peers. But I think you look at this season, Sophia Smith again has done that. And, and maybe we've just gotten too used to her being that great to, to not say she's a runaway. I think she is the MVP. Um, but, you know, she did it a little bit in, in pieces where she had some injuries there. Obviously, she had the World Cup in there, uh, as others did. So, you know, I think Caroline, who you had on the graphic there, is, is a good shout for North Carolina. Uh, maybe she makes that push and, and, you know, gets that golden boot and it gives her a stronger case. But, you know, Sophia Smith, for me, I think Gurma's another really good shout. You look at what San Diego's done. But um, Smith, a second straight golden boot, I think she's going to have a second straight MVP in her hands. Yes, yeah, but I just wanted to mention how much of that may be out of sight, out of mind, because she's been injured for quite a while. And while I was watching yeah. the Angel City game, she had that leg pretty heavily wrapped. So I don't know how, mm. how much she'll figure going forward in the playoffs. Uh, remains to be seen. They do have a bye, so that could be a benefit to them. But maybe out of sight, out of mind. There you go. Yeah. Herc, always taking the moment to remind us that he did pick Sophia Smith at the NWSL MVP when the uh, season began. Jeff Kasuf, great to have you with us here on Football Americas. Thanks, as always, for the time. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, Herc, let's run it back. Lindsey Horan with a hat trick. Her first uh, in her club career, it came as Lyon beat Saint-Étienne, 6-0 on Saturday. Oh, that was a sweet header right there. Look at the, the power she generates here. That's how you hit a header, down on the ground, skipping right there, good little goal. The 29-year-old, of course, the only American from the most recent World Cup squad to play in Europe and uh, doing her thing. Great way to uh, cap off the weekend there as she got uh, three goals in a 6-0 victory again for Lyon over Saint-Étienne. All right, that'll do it for this edition of Football Américas. We will be back on Thursday. We're going to preview the NWSL playoffs. We're going to be talking decision day in Major League Soccer. We've got some big games as Liga Mekis returns. Plus, we will be looking back on the United States against Ghana and Mexico against Germany. Plus, interviews. Interviews galore, Herc. Interviews galore. He's Herc. I'm Seb. Thanks for watching. We'll see you on Thursday.